Have you heard the news today? The world's become a better place. I wonder how. And everybody sings in peace. There's only one thing that we need. It's unapologetic. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Unapologetic. This is a small episode with Sai, our guest. Hello, this is Sai speaking. Very happy to be here. Big fan of podcasts. I've listened to like eight percent of it, so eighty percent. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, my name is Sarah. I used to be speaker last year, um, but now I'm just coordinator in Unapologetic. Um, Sai, do you want to introduce yourself a bit and say why you're here? Ah, oh, that is a good proposition. Okay, hi everyone. So my name is Sai, and I study political science. I'm in my third and last year. Uh, I'll be done by May if everything goes well. You know, I specialize in um, comparative politics and political science, and I'm also taking a minor in um, communication science. And I am uh, working at a company for my internship. I also work on a weekend at a restaurant. I also have some friends. I have to hang out with them, like Sarah and Star. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, lots of commitments, but it's okay. You know, and sometimes I do podcasts. So here I am, happy to be here. Very yeah. busy person. <laughs> yeah, it took a while to schedule this, but it's okay. You know, we can do this. It's okay. We made it, and now we're here. So okay, fun. Um, we want to talk about comparative uh, welfare states, something that Sai is uh, researching. So, do you want to say why you're researching this? How you got you got to this topic? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I proposed this to Sarah because um, when I started my six credits course in um, comparative politics, welfare states, <laughs> I was I was actually very surprised by how my um, professor really made sure that it was very intersectional and it looked into different perspectives. Because um, often when it comes to the welfare states, there's I think there's especially in people from you know not Western countries like. Europe and North America thinks that like oh yay we have welfare state we're pretty good you know like it's it looks good I love it but uh when you actually really looks into um the welfare state from different perspectives um and you critically an- analyze it um obviously there are lots of areas where things can be improved um and that can be obviously um separated into different um sections so intersectionality like gender class nationality yeah income international background we we and skin color race (laughs) yes so that was very interesting so that's what you did for your project you focus on these aspects of the welfare state yes and specifically on healthcare with my case study being um denmark um yeah and so what did you find in Denmark in relation to all these categories that you were telling me about. Okay, yes, perfect. Okay. So first let's um I'm gonna try and talk about what Denmark is, you know, what its welfare state is. Well first of all I think um Denmark is considered as one of the best countries in the world in terms of um provision of welfare. And that is also certainly the case when it comes to healthcare. Um there was a report that was um, sponsored by the European Commission that looked into like the different health um, systems of um, EU countries and Denmark definitely did a good job. And But obviously there are areas to improve. Um, for example, one aspect of um, their health provision that could be improved would be um, transgender's right 
you know. Uh, Denmark in I think twenty seventeen declared that um transgender patients will not be considered as a mentally ill patient. But um obviously that was in twenty seventeen, you know, not that yeah, long it's time quite, ago. It's quite late actually. I yeah. thought Denmark would get there like a bit earlier. There's so much like narrative going on in Nordic countries mm-hmm. regarding the welfare state and all of these like topics. Like I I mean I never looked into the dates but i really thought it was gonna be sooner oh yeah i guess me too huh <laughs> but obviously that's not the case you know but mm-hmm. they do i think the citizens the citizens there do consider themselves as very progressive but they don't realize that these sort of um healthcare practices are being um occur within yeah. the health system you know they don't realize that the their government is not doing much when it comes to minorities right in this case yeah. um transgenders so they were considered um well mentally ill before then and obviously um trans um activists were happy that you know the notion has changed but obviously didn't actually expect any sort of practical changes when it comes to the treatment of trans because they are still being highly discriminated so that's just um and so i think it's still the case here that there's also an income um aspect when it comes to transgender um patients where only richer trans patients are able to get their, their my biological sex change. Yeah, medical you know. transition. Yeah, medical transition. Because yeah. they don't really do it in Denmark. They have to go to Germany, and obviously that requires money. Yeah, I was going to say, know. usually they do it privately when they can afford to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I know, for example, at home, I'm from Italy. Um, people that want to medically transition to the public health care, they have to go to therapy one year, um, like, through this, you know, uh, process, and then have to wait something like one or two years before they can actually get, um, like medical surgery. Yeah, and that's really interesting. And is it paid by the state or? Yeah, but only after a, um, psychologist or a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Says that you're actually a transgender person, which okay. is insane because I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why does a cisgender, you know, um. Psychiatrists yeah. should know more than me. Yeah, exactly. I've been living true. my entire body. I agree with you. You know, yeah. we, we are finally Sarah. <laughs> no, Sarah and I fight a lot. <laughs> uh, okay, it's fine. It's fine. We don't have to talk about that. No, but um, yeah, it's very interesting. In the Netherlands, I think um, it's the case that um, the the whole transition process is actually funded by the state, so it's included in yeah. the health insurance um system. So I, I think that's how Nikki did it. You know, Nikki tutorials. Oh yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was a long time ago. So And I think it's really interesting because, you know, when we're talking, even in academia, I think, when we're talking about the welfare state, obviously we only focus on the very basic aspect of it mm-hmm. without looking at nuances like this, mm. you know? Is it actually a- accessible for everyone or only for, like, the standard citizen? Yeah, I think it's that really interesting. Yeah. And especially in Denmark because there is a whole big narrative about it and I personally did not know about this. Yeah. And it seems like it was um like this report of um transgender health was pushed by uh, activists and not by yeah. the state itself. Yeah. It's um pushed by the state. I mean sorry, activists. <laughs> but yeah, and it's just not only Denmark, like after Denmark did it, Norway no not not Sweden also like six months later declared that yeah, we don't see um <laughs> trans um patient as a mentally ill anymore. So there's this sort of like 
uh, effect where there's this Nordic culture like, where oh if that person's more progressive I need to be more progressive as well so yeah <laughs> I guess there's to... a lot of competition in these countries to yeah. be the more progressive yeah but so they, interesting yeah but at the same time they sort of forgot about trans right before 2017 that yeah. it actually existed <laughs> it should be in existence so that's very interesting and moving on to like a more broader group of um LGBTQ plus and plus I think more letters community. Um, more than the T. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, I just I just need to know whether it's a gay person, but I just don't. So I'm trying to learn. So in terms of the broader community, um, there's also discrimination uh, that they face in healthcare when it comes to like um yeah health access. And for example, an example that I can give is um the sex clinic in the Denmark that gives advice on basically like things to do with like sex education okay and there's this study that basically um interview you know people that access the sex clinic and the study found that people with a lgbtqia plus background um face more discrimination compared to um heterosexual people is that right? No, cisgender people. Cisgender <laughs> people. Or maybe have trouble. I don't know. It's a sex clinic. Yeah. <laughs> but you get the, you get the point. This, Anyone who complies with the gender and sexual norm, I'd yeah, say. Yeah. I don't know how like the method was, but here it says N equal 48. So that's not a lot of people, but Denmark doesn't really have a lot of people, I have to that's say. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's peer review, so it's quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's also another um, more broader like LGBTQIA plus community. Does does your source explain in which way they were, um, like, is it because they were not believed? Because, you know, like, for example, with women, uh, it happens so many times that in healthcare they're discriminated because, like, doctors think that women are dramatic Mm -hmm. and so they receive, uh, like, uh, worse healthcare. Is it the same for queer people yes it's basically that often uh the healthcare um personals are more familiar with um practices that are um, cater for like cisgender people so they're these sort of lgbtqia plus people's need are more different Mm -hmm. in a way and so that's not really um reflected by the responses from the healthcare workers yes it really makes me think about um, how, you know, in healthcare, for example, the standard of the body and the body that's studied is the white body. Mm-hmm. And, for example, even like skin conditions are often not recognized on black bodies Yeah, for that same reason. That, that I completely agree. And yeah. this is also like one of like my professor also make me like make the class listen to podcasts oh, before each class. And then one of the podcasts was... A, it's exactly what you're talking about mm-hmm. and i think it was back in like during the segregation era okay. in the united states uh hospitals were divided into like hospitals for white people and hospitals yeah. for black, black people and hospitals for the black people just had a higher rate of like mortality compared to oh, white wow, hospitals okay. and i'm guessing the doctors were white <laughs> yeah the doctors were white but also at black hospitals yeah. Well, there's also this like profession discrimination where yeah. black doctors would only be expected to work oh, in yeah. black hospitals, you know? There were also cases where um uh in cases where doctors were white, there were a few cases where diagnosis was not properly done. Yeah. Which 
worsened the condition and could have been prevented, you know? Yeah. Like, when it comes to, like, cancer detection and stuff like that, that also happened yeah. for black patients. And also, black patients were also turned away from hospitals in emergency, white hospitals mm-hmm. from emergency situations. So that was the case. And and there was obviously activists tried to fight for it. Mm-hmm. And it has come a long way. Like, the government somehow agreed to, like, desegregate hospitals in the yeah. United States. And but still, the standard remained the white body. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a uh, it has come a long way, but definitely we can improve upon. You know. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I think like one or two months ago, uh, there was the first picture of a, a pregnant body, mm-hmm. and it was depicted black. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the first time that was ever even like created. You know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's kind of crazy because it's like yeah, twenty twenty two. I was gonna say twenty twenty one, but yeah, that's true. And it's very interesting. Those sort of representations definitely matter when it comes to like yeah. textbooks and in the media. Yeah, exactly. Know. So yeah. Uh okay, we can also talk about um migrants' right yeah, to access absolutely. to healthcare in the Denmark. So <laughs> this paper <laughs> I guess you can put this in the description of the podcast sister. <laughs> uh, basically, this um paper, this paper said that like, well, they investigated the experiences of Assam seekers with access to healthcare in Denmark, and um, it wasn't great for them. But it also sort of makes sense. But it also makes sense for them. But it also doesn't really make sense. <laughs> so mm-hmm. basically, one of the issues was um access to GP where they were not really familiar with the system of how a GP works, you know? Yeah. So obviously they felt um like it was too complicated and it really discouraged them from going to the GP again. And so that's the GP aspect and there's also the um emergency care aspect yeah. where they would go to hospitals and then I think in also in the Netherlands the way they like um order which patient should be treated first is mm-hmm. by the pain scale you know okay and often um as some seekers felt they thought that like um they didn't quite understand how the scale works and so and also they felt like when the the scale was given too low by them like they were not like giving the proper care in like good time you know in like a sufficient time so they felt very discouraged wow mm-hmm. damn so on one side we have this like access uh problem where um these individuals just don't know how to access mm-hmm. a GP. Yeah. And then when you go to the ER, you say how you're feeling and they don't believe you. And that's just insane. And I would expect that obviously like for example in the states because we hear about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I wasn't expecting to such a great degree in like Northern Europe, actually. Yeah, and another interesting perspective. Let me just give an example of Star and I. Look, we're not gonna lie. We're we're educated, you know. Okay, mm-hmm. we're educated, and we were still confused when we came to the Netherlands about uh, how the I GPs. Was really confused. Exactly. And I'm from Europe, you know. People with like the ability to still, yeah, who can speak still speak English and get yeah. access to the internet and translate things. We were still confused about how the system works. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's like, it's I think. We shouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't really say that, oh, yeah, it's because like, there are some secrets, you know, they just don't know how to access this. What? Guess what? I didn't yeah. know how to ex- access the system as well. Like, I'm very highly educated. I can, I'm just saying, yeah, I'm, I, I'm able to, like, communicate, you know? It's, yeah. And Amsterdam, most people speak English, and I'm still, I was still yeah. confused. So, <laughs> it's it's just, I don't think it's really Yeah, and if you don't like... speak good English or good Dutch, then mm-hmm. it gets very complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think it should be on institutions or the government to, yeah. like, instruct people, yeah. like, 
new arrivals to like how yeah, to exactly. access all the services that they have. Yeah. But other than that, um, uh, we're talking about asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Could they access every service that is usually accessible to Danish? Yes, okay. that they were able to. They they had access to it during the asylum procedure. So okay. yeah, and then another um. If we go more a little bit more broadly into one skin minorities and migrants, so people with ethnic minority backgrounds in Denmark, basically, um, they well once again now this is from a policy perspective and it's from the perspective of what the government does, and in Denmark, um, one researcher found that um, what happened was um, the policies that were made by the government often translate into like negative outcomes for minority people when it comes mm-hmm. to access to healthcare. Yeah. One example that I can give it to you is um during the coronavirus, the Danish prime minister, by the way, who's from a left wing party, said that um the people from a very specific area called well they 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 like they consider as ghettos. Okay. And. This term ghetto was developed by a different politician a long time ago, mm-hmm. where it, these are basically areas with high um, percentage of ethnic minorities, and they wow. just consider them as ghettos in Danish. And so, okay, okay, back to coronavirus, left-wing <laughs> prime minister. She said, okay, people who were um, living in these ghettos needs to be um, given mandatory tests. Mandatory oh, wow. tests, because like, they do not have individual responsibility. That's so insane. <laughs> yeah, and then that's by a left-wing Danish prime minister. <laughs> oh wow! So this is one example where when like when it comes to like health policy, you know. Actually, like, this really reminds me. Um, I'm taking my specialization in political science mm-hmm. in policy, and we were talking about when the welfare state in the Netherlands was created. Mm-hmm. The government took on this role of educating. Um, mm-hmm. I'm doing quotation marks. You cannot see. Them. <laughs> um. This group of people in a very specific area because the government thought that they could not like live by themselves, so they would teach them how to like eat or like behave, raise children, but they were really dehumanized and um created as the other, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's such a big, and I'm guessing it's the same that's happening here. They're like the other, and you cannot take care of yourself, so I'm gonna make it mandatory for you to do specific things. Yeah, exactly. So. But I think it also highlights the it. This is not really re- relevant, but I I also want to say something that it also highlights how, um, like, North American and like European countries, West European countries response to coronavirus oh, yeah. compared to like East Asian countries and Southeast Asian countries. Where here in Denmark, the whole mentality was like it's an individual responsibility yeah, to I was gonna say. tackle coronavirus. Yeah. Whereas in uh, East Asian countries and Southeast Asian countries, they expect more like government intervention. Yeah. And, you know. But then it's such a big contradiction that, you know, oh, it's individual choice, but you, no, 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 for you, it's mandatory. And I say so because I'm the state. Yeah, exactly. So the state like allows itself to control some people, but not others. Yeah. And this is obviously very, um, like, ethnically informed oh yeah for sure it is definitely that's so interesting she uh, specifically mentioned the ghettos of Denmark (laughs) so yeah yeah Mm -hmm. it's like basically like the equivalent of like sort of like Belmar you know in Amsterdam because we we know there's segregation in Amsterdam it's very obvious (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah. it's something like that like at least 
here we don't call them ghettos, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so. I heard people defining Balmer the ghetto actually, oh, and well, that's yeah. very disrespectful. Yeah, so so that's the um yeah, people with ethnic minority backgrounds in Denmark. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. There's such a big process of like adhering mm-hmm. um in this and it's crazy how the state has so much power over the people, but at the same time, one part of the population is really um, exempted from mm-hmm, this, yeah, and the other part is not, and mm-hmm. it's just so discriminatory. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But like, yeah, for me, like the basically the main point I was trying to say is yeah, governments here in the Danish government's policy influenced the way healthcare access is um, formed, you know, for um minorities <laughs> and also from the perspective of income it was actually more difficult to find like um negative outcomes when it comes to healthcare to access to healthcare so people in Denmark are pretty rich it's very fair enough it's a enough. generally very equal country you know so uh but do you think it also oh, um, I'm, I took this course this mm-hmm. year tell me um in sociology it was just about class okay um and I really learned that actually class is so understudied. So I wonder if, you know, this that you're saying that they couldn't really find anything. If it's because, you know, it's understudied or, you know, class is less obvious than, you know, skin color or gender. Mm. So, you know, sometimes it's accent or a way of posing yourself. So I wonder if there's discrimination in that to some extent. And, you know, I guess also what we were saying about the ghetto, mm-hmm. there's definitely a level of class in that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how they couldn't really find anything. But to me, it looks like there's a lot, actually. Oh, great. Well, yeah. good for you, Sarah. <laughs> this is all for your podcast. Um, but, yeah, there's also the aspect of income where... Um, so, yeah, this is for like, the whole population. Yeah. And, well, healthcare access, like general healthcare access, when, it, when income is taken into account, it's not very unequal i guess mm-hmm. unequal but um it was definitely it was definitely unequal for the case of dental care because okay. dental care is usually more expensive yeah so even like you know in denmark people who are so like white in the majority mm-hmm. like only there's still a portion of the population that's not able to get that doesn't really just get access to dental care because it's more expensive that's yeah. very interesting so there was only um aspect that i could find for um, yeah but income. also, Denmark is one of the most uh, economically equal countries. No? Yeah, well, uh, looking uh, at the whole of the population. Yeah, if 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 you do it mathematically by what you know the Western scholars have yeah, developed, exactly. the Gini index. But what is equality? <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, so. Well, Denmark is yeah apparently supposed to be equal, which yeah. But we can also distinguish between um, economic equality and that well-being. Mm-hmm, yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting how we see you know uh, ethnicity and then mm-hmm. uh, class and then gender as different categories, mm-hmm. and that's when intersectionality really comes in, and we see them interplay. So you know what does it mean to be uh, an ethnic minority in Denmark and living in the quote-unquote ghetto um, part of the country. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is true. And what does it mean to your access to healthcare? Yes, that is true. I agree. 
um, also, um, since this is, you know, for, sec- for sociology, <laughs> decolonization, um, let's see, um, when it comes to the... Offer your views, When it comes to, uh, scholarly research on yeah. the welfare states, obviously, mm-hmm. from what I know, obviously, I go to Western in- institutions, so... I can see that obviously everything is more Western orientated yeah. and the research more f- focused on Western countries. For example, um, this is this person called Epstein Anderson, super famous within the welfare state, right? Um, scholarly, uh, he's a very famous like welfare state scholar. Then okay. um, he came up with the topology of welfare states, but basically more suited towards like, um, North Atlantic countries like. He came up with a liberal model. I think you know this liberal oh, model, yeah. conservative model, and First year political science. <laughs> exactly, liberal, conservative, and uh, social democratic. Yeah, yeah, that one, <laughs> that for the Nordic ones. Anyway, so decolonization. You know, I think in in during my class we also discuss about how yeah it doesn't fit with the rest of the world. You know, these models. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> these models doesn't fit with um the welfare states in the rest of the world and. The way that he come up, he came up with the concept was also really based on this like model family where the male was a breadwinner, you know, yeah. and that was criticized by this other person, this other girl, mm-hmm. forgot her name unfortunately, <laughs> and so there's also the intersectional perspective when it comes to welfare state concepts, you know, yeah, and also yeah, it also fails to look at how other non-western countries also have welfare states that are actually functional and that probably actually yeah. functions better than the ones in welfare states mm-hmm. i mean in, in western states like for example i told star about how thailand's like um, healthcare system is actually very effective okay. and it's actually very cheap the way like the way it has it it's cheap for the government to operate as well like, it's not expensive and uh, yeah it's it's effective yeah, so... How so? Um, uh, well, stars <laughs> is not here, you know, but um, there's... Uh, basically, citizens just pay, like, a very small amount of money. It's, mm-hmm. like, it's a collective agreement, and it just functions. I don't know how it works, <laughs> but it certainly functions. And that's why Thailand has such a high um, life expectancy. Okay. And it's actually sort of almost becoming a problem because there's not enough working age people to support you know the pension system and everything but but yeah it's it's obvious that the healthcare system yeah. in Thailand is good because it's cheap but at the same time you know people are raising their life expectancies yeah. so but listeners this is your moment to research the Thai uh, <laughs> healthcare system this yeah. is your time to shine but yeah basically my main message here is decolonization when it comes to the welfare state yeah. you know, scholarly Absolutely. debate where we also really need to look into countries that are outside yeah, sure. now the... i remember i learned this when yeah barely knew about decolonizing academia mm-hmm. but now i think about it and it's so true the three ideotypes are only mm-hmm. based on european yeah. countries yeah exactly you, you can't yeah. really apply it anywhere else so so interesting really yes that's correct anything else from your research that you would like to mention Ooh, let's see well, you said this is a short episode, so it's only thirty <laughs> minutes, and you have to go somewhere, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I think I'll just leave it there. It's yeah? fine. Yes, well, I can just leave it there. <laughs> I thought this was really interesting. Um, yes. thank you, Sai, for coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, just a small remark that we make in every episode. Mm-hmm. This is obviously just university students talking uh-huh. and discussing. We- um. Yeah, this was a literature review. We're just report, reporting what 
other people said uh-huh. um, but still nonetheless very important to discuss but yes. we don't take accountability yeah. <laughs> for but everything uh, was peer review so <laughs> yeah <laughs> what no, I was just gonna make peer. a joke but oh. I shouldn't <laughs> um, but yeah we hope that you enjoyed it and see you in the next episode bye